an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Thank you, Daniel, and thank you all for being here this morning <clears throat> to be able to address this important topic on the new evangelization, in particular, uh, the role of Franciscan University of Steubenville uh, in addressing the new evangelization. Uh, I want to begin by thanking all of our presenters who have been here and all those who have supported us in the preparations for uh, this particular symposium that we are embarking upon today. Uh, as I indicated yesterday in the inaugural address, I want this to be a regular thing that we do here, uh, to be able to have these scholarly types of presentations to be able to make known our voice in the world as well, uh, both in the scholarly world but in the public square as well, so that the teachings of the church can be promoted uh, and can be advanced and made known to all people uh, throughout the world. Certainly, we have had uh, many different opportunities here at Franciscan University to be a very much faith-based community uh, and have, have a deep desire to respond to the Lord's great commission given to all of his disciples as we find at the end of St. Matthew's Gospel. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Certainly, teaching is an important component of our daily lives, particularly for those of us who are involved in education. We have dedicated our lives to the teachings of the church, to the teachings we formulate here and pass on to our students at Franciscan University. It is not limited, however, to those of us who have been hired to be teachers in different capacities. As we heard in Matthew's Gospel, each one of us has an obligation to teach the faith. Each one of us has an obligation to spread the good news. Each one of us has an obligation to go forward and be the presence of Christ in the world. This is all consistent with what the church now proposes and encapsulates under that title of the new evangelization. One commentator, in an attempt to describe the various components of the new evangelization, suggested that there are three essential components that we need to consider, that we need to advance when we discuss the new evangelization. He said, in essence, new evangelization is comprised of three things. First, the new evangelization includes renewed spiritual devotion as well as renewed efforts in catechesis. We must know Jesus and we must understand Christianity and the Catholic faith in particular. This renewed knowledge enables the second element, living our faith. And third, a natural extension of knowing and living our faith is to share it with others. So thus, the three components that are important for us who strive to support the new evangelization are our own personal renewal, living out our faith, and sharing our faith with others. Here at Franciscan University, we have already taken up the new evangelization in many ways. 
we have courses in our theology department offered that address this particular topic in its entirety in the new evangelization. We have also the Father Michael Scanlon Chair of Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization, which Dr. Scott Hahn currently holds and advances on behalf of the university. But as the newly installed president of Franciscan University, I am also blessed to be able to assist our university with engaging in more specific efforts to advance the new evangelization. If we look at Mark's gospel, we see a scene described whenever Jesus was attempting to go off and be in solitude and silence with his disciples, to be able to find time to be alone in prayer, to find time to be able to share with his apostles their events, their travels in spreading the good news. But they were quickly followed by persons who had this desire to learn more, to be able to be seated at the foot of the master, to be able to hear Jesus spread the good news to them. Mark tells us, when he disembarked and saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus taught the sheep who were in need of a shepherd. Each one of us has that responsibility, but I, in a particular way, as Father Nicholas charged me yesterday with doing, has a responsibility to be the pastor, to be able to assist in shepherding the people here at Franciscan University to also assist in spreading the new evangelization. Our Franciscan University bylaws actually charge the president with that responsibility to be the shepherd for the people entrusted, in this case, to my care. It is actually a role that I particularly enjoy attempting to fulfill with the grace of God because it allows me to be so closely connected with the people that God has entrusted to us here. With this role, however, comes the responsibility to teach, comes the responsibility to evangelize, and the responsibility to encourage all to participate actively in the new evangelization. Last October 2012, in the Vatican City, there was the 13th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops. They gathered to address a specific theme which is very relevant to what we talk about today. It was, the theme was the new evangelization for the transmission of the Christian faith. Particularly relevant not only for us today, but also because it encompasses so much of the new evangelization and wraps it in to the year of faith that we continue to celebrate. Pope Francis has indicated his intention to issue an apostolic exhortation following up on the discussions of the new evangelization at that Synod of Bishops. He intends to do that before the end of our celebration of the year of faith at the end of this liturgical year. But until we receive that document, we actually do have the rich resources of the Synod of Bishops on the new evangelization to be able to consider in our discussion today. At the conclusion of those formal proceedings of the Synod on the New Evangelization, 
the member is presented to the Holy Father, who was Pope Benedict at the time, a final list of propositions about what they discussed and what they would like the Holy Father to consider as he uh, moves forward to prepare his apostolic exhortation. The list contains 58 propositions, unfortunately far too many for us to consider this morning. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> Yet a number of these topics are directly relevant to our mission here at Franciscan University. And I wanted to spend our time this morning addressing them and considering how we at the university might continue to utilize those suggestions to be able to have our own part in advancing the new evangelization. <clears throat> Principally this morning, I want to talk about two topics, two of the propositions that the uh, Synod of Bishops put forward. The first being conversion, and the second being religious liberty. I also want to touch briefly on the topics of education which they put forward, the important role of education, including the fields of catechesis and theology, the role of the members of the laity, and the role of youth in the new evangelization. First, I'll turn to our important topic, which is very essential to our lives as Franciscans, the topic of conversion. <coughs> Excuse me. Proposition 22 from the Synod of Bishops indicates that for us to be true agents of the new evangelization, each one of us, and they specifically pointed first to themselves, the bishops who were involved in this discussion, each one of us must undergo personal renewal of holiness. Each one of us needs to undergo ongoing conversion so that we can be authentic agents of the new evangelization. The, the specific proposition reads in part <clears throat> that the new evangelization requires personal and communal conversion. New methods of evangelization and renewal of the pastoral structures to be able to move from a pastoral theology of maintenance to a pastoral position that is truly missionary. The new evangelization guides us to an authentic pastoral conversion, which moves us to attitudes and initiatives, which leads to evaluations and changes in the dynamics of pastoral structures, which no longer respond to the evangelical demands of the current time. A personal conversion is necessary for each of us to be authentic agents, authentic witnesses of the faith. Our own personal renewal, our own desire to draw closer to Christ. Certainly conversion is a topic that we address on numerous occasions here at Franciscan University since it is a, an essential component of our Franciscan spirituality. In several places in the New Testament, we see the accounts of St. Paul and his conversion to becoming somebody who prosecuted, who, who uh, prosecuted Jesus to somebody who actually became his supporter, his strong proponent in teaching the faith. For example, in the Acts of the Apostles, Luke wrote, on his journey as he was nearing Damascus, 
a light from the sky suddenly flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <clears throat> he said, who are you, sir? And the reply came to him, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. When we think of St. Paul, because of many of the statues that we see in our churches and the statues that are around our homes and our, our offices about that depict St. Paul, we see him often as an elderly gentleman with, a gray, with gray hair, a gray beard, frequently carrying the sword uh, to be able to be that witness to the faith. But probably when this event occurred, it happened in the life of St. Paul, he was a rather young man. Some of you may be familiar with the Italian painter Caravaggio. He attempted to paint this scene that we hear described in the Acts of the Apostles, where Saul, later Paul, underwent his own personal conversion. And he made this painting in 1601. It's actually located in the church of Santa Maria del Popolo in Rome, if you have an opportunity to see it. Caravaggio depicted Saul uh, as a young, fit man in his 20s, wearing the armor of a warrior and a Roman red cape. At the moment of his conversion, Caravaggio showed Paul lying on the ground next to his horse, powerless, with his eyes closed and his arms reaching upward. He depicted Saul reaching out physically but also intellectually in search of his way, searching for a different way to live his life and searching for the way to follow Christ. This encounter with Christ certainly changed Paul. His conversion led Paul to be a renewed devotion to Christ and it led Paul to live his faith and to share his faith with others. Certainly, we also hear at Franciscan University a lot about the conversion of St. Francis of Assisi. Francis, who had grown up with many fine things in his life and had many opportunities before him, gradually became unsure of whether he was living his life in the way that God had actually planned for him. Later in his life, Francis wrote in his testament the Lord gave me, Brother Francis, thus to begin doing penance in this way. For when I was in sin, it seemed too bitter for me to see lepers. And then the Lord himself led me among them, and I showed mercy to them. And when I left them, what had seemed bitter to me was turned into sweetness of soul and body. And afterwards, I delayed a little and left the world. Thus, according to Francis, it was his encounters with the lepers outside the city of Assisi that actually led to his conversion. In his 2012 biography of Francis, the Dominican Augustine Thompson describes this event in Francis's life. <clears throat> he says, the experience with the lepers had nothing to do with choices between wealth and poverty, nightly pride and humility, or even doing service instead of conducting business. 
It was a dramatic personal reorientation that bore, brought forth spiritual fruit. As Francis showed mercy to these outcasts, he came to experience God's own gift of mercy to himself. As he cleaned the lepers' bodies, dressed their wounds, and treated them as human beings, not as refuse to be fled from in horror, his perceptions changed. What before was ugly and repulsive now caused him delight and joy, not only spiritually, but also viscerally and physically. Francis's aesthetic sense, so central to his personality, had been transformed, even inverted. The startled veteran sensed himself, by God's grace and no power of his own, remade into a different man. And just as suddenly the sins that had been tormenting him seemed to melt away, and Francis experienced a kind of spiritual rebirth and healing. Not long after this encounter, later encounters tell us that Francis was walking down a road and met one of these same lepers. He embraced the man in his arms and kissed him. Francis's spiritual nightmare was over and he had found peace. Francis's spiritual nightmare was over and he found peace in his conversion. Now that his nightmare was over, Francis came to understand what Christ was asking him to do. And he came to know that renewed devotion to following Christ. He came to know, <coughs> excuse me, what his role would be to be able to proclaim Jesus Christ. He felt compelled to foster poverty in his own personal life and to preach the good news to others. Each of us has that story to tell of our own personal encounter with Christ. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. Each one of us may have experienced a great deep conversion at some point in our lives. St. Paul attributes that to the grace of God for the change of his heart. His conversion led to missionary activity. Paul began to evangelize Christ. Francis linked his encounters with the lepers with his conversion, but his conversion did not end there. Francis continued, da continued daily in his quest to encounter Christ and to draw closer to Christ. He focused on ongoing conversion throughout his entire life, seeking to redirect himself toward God, but also to draw others to Christ. Francis became so directed towards Christ that he even took on the wounds of Christ in the later years of his life. Our own ongoing conversion must also include the act of turning away from the things that separate us from Christ. It requires us, however, to turn toward Christ. To turn toward Christ when things become difficult, to turn towards Christ when we have challenges in our lives, 
to strive to become more Christ-like. As a Catholic university that is both academically excellent and passionately Catholic, we must focus our daily activities on Christ. We must focus our daily activities on our own personal turning toward Christ, our own personal conversion, our own personal drawing to Christ so that we can be authentic witnesses, so that we can be authentic agents of the new evangelization. If we don't engage in our own personal conversion, it le our relationship with Christ loses its significance. If we don't live our lives transformed because of that encounter, people will not come to know how we understand our faith, how we live our faith, and they will not have the desire to share that life of faith with us. We need to be authentic. We need to have our own personal encounter with Christ deepened on many different levels. And the new evangelization affords us an opportunity to be able to do that. The new evangelization allows us to deepen our relationship with Christ. Thank you. The new evangelization allows us to be able to live our faith. And the new evangelization allows us to share our faith with others so that we can truly pass it on to them. Secondly, the concept of religious liberty as addressed by the bishops and how we live that out here at Franciscan University. The Synod of Bishops Proposition 16 highlights the importance of religious liberty as foundational to the new evangelization. If we can't share our faith with others, if something prohibits us from doing that, how can we participate actively and authentically in the new evangelization? The Synod proposed a renewed commitment to church teachings on religious liberty and the promotion of li religious liberty for all. The bishop said, this renewal seeks to affirm and promote freedom in religious matters for individuals, families, and institutions to protect the common good of all. Such a freedom includes the right to teach the Christian faith without compromise of its tenets to children in the family and or school. The Synod actually recommended a commission to be established to address attacks on religious liberty and to obtain accurate information for public witness to the fundamental right to religious freedom and freedom of conscience. Certainly, these are very important recommendations to be able to live out our faith throughout the world. But particularly here in the United States, we have been subject to attacks on our ability to practice our faith. And it's essential for us here at the university to continue to resist those attacks. In a 2012 address to a group of American bishops on their ad limina visit to the Vatican, Pope Benedict XVI, now emeritus, emphasized the gravity of the problem that results 
when religious liberty is challenged. He said it is imperative that the entire Catholic community, and specifically points to the United States, the entire Catholic community in the United States come to realize the grave threats to the church's public moral witness presented by a radical secularism which finds increasing expression in the political and cultural spheres. The seriousness of these threats needs to be clearly appreciated at every level of ecclesial life. Of particular concern are certain attempts being made to limit that most cherished of American freedoms, the freedom of religion. Many of you speaking to the bishops have pointed out that concerted efforts have been made to deny the right of conscientious objection on the part of Catholic individuals and institutions with regard to cooperation in intrinsically evil practices. Others have spoken to me of a worrying tendency to reduce religious freedom to mere freedom of worship without guarantees of respect for freedom of conscience. Secularism, if we conclude from what Pope Benedict said, can lead to the privatization of one's faith which ultimately leads to the associated problem of relativism. For some, it becomes frighteningly frightening to identify anything as an absolute truth. Yet as St. Paul reminded the people of Corinth, we too have the obligation to speak. We too have the obligation to speak the truth because we are believers. St. Paul wrote, since then we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We too believe and therefore speak, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and place us with you in his presence. We as believers have the obligation to speak. We who know the truth, we who deepen our understanding of our faith, have the obligation to speak our faith in the way in which we live and the way in which we share our faith with others. A value that is not something new, a value that we treasure as part of the historical tradition, the gospel tradition of our church. The United States was actually founded on the principle of religious freedom, which is encapsulated in the First Amendment to the Constitution. It states in part, Congress shall make <clears throat> no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Congress shall neither establish an official religion nor prohibit persons from exercising their religious liberty. Yet again, we find ourselves needing to push back so that we can exercise our religion, so that we can practice our faith, so that we can share that faith with others. Over the years, with the changes in our society, our faith, our beliefs, have been subject to challenge in a variety of ways. 
That still remains true today, probably even more so in the days in which we live today. These are real threats to our ability to practice our faith. And we need to focus on renewing the expression of living out our faith so that we can advance the new evangelization. As Pope Benedict, now emeritus, wrote in his address uh, to the, uh, the bishops, the freedom of religion cannot be reduced to the mere concept of freedom of worship. That is, that individuals are free to worship as they choose on Sunday within the confines of their church buildings. They can do whatever they want there, but they should not be able to take their faith into the public square, that they should not be able to take what they learn and embrace in those church worship services out into the community. Our faith certainly demands that we do the contrary, that our faith demands that our lives are to be seamless, that what we say and do within the church building, within the confines of the church building, and how we profess our faith does not stay there. It goes with us as we go out into the world. It goes with us as we go back into our daily occupations, goes back into the universities, goes back into our schools to be proclaimed to everybody that we encounter. Vatican II's Declaration on Religious Freedom, Dignitatis Humanae, highlighted the importance of religious liberty as a fundamental right for all persons. The Council Fathers stated, this Vatican Synod declares that the human person has a right to religious freedom. Such freedom consists in this, that all should have such immunity from coercion by individuals or by groups or by any human power that no one should be forced to act against his conscience in religious matters nor prevented from acting according to his conscience, whether in private or in public whether alone or in association with others within due limits. The Synod further declares that the right to religious freedom is firmly based on the dignity of the human person, as this is known from the revealed word of God and from reason itself. This right of the human person to religious freedom should have such recognition in the regulation of society by law as to become a civil right. Not just something that we proclaim as a people of God, but something that needs to be incorporated and upheld by the civil societies in which we live in. Moreover, the council also recognized that all persons are bound by a moral obligation to seek truth, above all religious truth. They are further bound to hold to the truth once it is known and to regulate their whole lives by its demands. We have the obligation to seek the truth. We have the obligation to live according to the truth in the way in which we live our lives, the way in which we encounter others. Certainly the advancement of the new evangelization depends on our ability to exercise freely our faith. 
for us to be renewed spiritually and especially to be able to live our faith and to share our faith, we need to be able to do so without constraint, both in church and in the public square in our communities. The radical secularism of which Benedict spoke to the group of American bishops must be confronted. Scholars from Franciscan University, students from Franciscan University must be permitted to speak the truth that they have come to know and embrace in their daily lives. Blessed Pope John Paul II recognized in Ex Cordia Ecclesiae, the apostolic constitution on Catholic universities, that a Catholic university places itself in the middle of the dialogue between faith and reason, an interaction that would not be found in a typical secular university. One commentator noted that religiously affiliated universities offer the academy a diverse method of discovering truth. While most of the scholarly world relies on the scientific method alone, many religious universities believe that understanding can be gained through two processes, reason and faith. According to those with this view, both intellectual study and spiritual inquiry can lead to the truth. Each process plays an important role in the fulfillment of that ancient and all-important mandate to gain understanding. There is no inherent inconsistency between the two, and our eventual achievement of total perfection will require the use of both processes, both faith and reason. If we were to consider faith, the consideration of faith is required for seeking the fullness of truth. But typically, this is an area in which scholars tend to avoid, unless they are associated with a religiously affiliated university, unless, like us, we espouse to put forward the dialogue between faith and reason to be able to assist others to come to the fullness of truth. Now Bishop O'Connell of the Diocese of Trenton maintained that in the Catholic Christian scholastic tradition, truth is considered the proper object of the reasoning mind seeking knowledge. That tradition does not exclude the contribution of faith. The reasoning mind does not seek falsehood or error. The meaning and urgency of truth, however, are the goals of the believing heart and soul seeking truth's purpose. Truth is not true because we believe it. The truth is true whether we believe it or not. To consider truth as a category of knowledge or science or reason without at the same time seeking its deeper God-given meaning, purpose, and value is to limit truth and therefore to separate the essential and integral relationship between reason and faith. Both seek and serve the one truth. At Franciscan University, we afford our professors the opportunity to incorporate their faith, their beliefs, into what they present in their writings, to what they present in the classroom. 
It is essential to who we are as a Catholic and Franciscan university. And only at a school such as Franciscan University where faith can be incorporated into that dialogue can we come to know the fullness of truth. This interaction between faith and reason at Franciscan and University enables the fullness of truth to be discovered, which is also vital to the promotion of the new evangelization and for the very consideration of our world's continued belief in God, the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who calls us forward to be his presence in the world. Education. All the Christian faith will have a right to a Christian education. It's a foundational right that we all have. But this right can be met in a number of different ways, including through education at Catholic schools, religious education programs, and even homeschooling. At the level of higher education, we have Catholic universities, ecclesiastical universities as well, and other institutes of higher studies. The Synod of Bishops incorporated the importance of education in dealing with the issues of the new evangelization. Proposition 27 from the Synod addressed education in general at all levels of uh, formation. They suggested that all educators are to be agents of evangelization rather than simply products of evangelization. All educators need to move forward with their own personal conversion. All educators need to live out their faith. All educators need to share their faith with their students. Sometimes the witness of our own personal life is even more important with what we say in the classroom. The propositions from uh, the Synod of Bishops further expounded upon the principles of education that the fathers of the Second Vatican Council addressed in their declaration, Gravissimum Educationis. Gravissimum Educationis points to the important role that teachers have in Catholic education and encourages them to excel in their vocation. They wrote, therefore, all those who help parents to fulfill their duty and represent the community by undertaking the task of education in school have a noble and indeed a highly important vocation. This vocation calls for its own special gifts of mind and heart, most diligent preparation and a continual readiness for renovation and adaptation. The fathers of the council went on to remind the, the teachers, the educators in these schools that they are too to be examples for their students, not only to have the sufficient qualities to teach, to have the sufficient background to be able to teach the, the, the uh, educational qualifications, but they need to live authentic lives as well. This, uh, uh, you'll be glad to hear the plug for the Code of Canon Law, was picked up uh, in the code as a requirement for all educators, both in Catholic schools 
and in Catholic universities as well. And it has also been incorporated into an instruction that came from the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, known as Donum Veritatis, which talks about these important issues. Um, one commentator noted that this paragraph two of the document sets forth the grave duty of ensuring that those teachers who are appointed as teachers of religion in schools, even non-Catholic ones, are to be outstanding in right doctrine, in the witness of their Christian life and in their teaching ability. These requirements arise from the very character of the subject being taught, since even though it is not the same as catechetical activity, neither is it limited to the mere communication of cultural baggage. The Christian faith, even when considered as a cultural fact, if it is to be transmitted faithfully, necessarily entails, together with a theoretical content, an experience of life that is inextricably intertwined with it. In the Christian faith, knowledge and life, truth and existence, are intrinsically joined. Certainly the formation of educators here at Franciscan University is an important part of our mission as well. Because of the manner in which our education students are formed, they are prepared to incorporate the principles of the new evangelization into the classroom. Whether they are teaching mathematics, social studies, or history. The culture of our Franciscan University supports this as well and enables our students to be immersed in their academic studies while focusing on the pursuit of holiness and the deepening of their relationship with Christ. As a result, they are empowered to live their faith and to pass their faith on to others, whether with words or with actions. Their own experience with Christ transforms their lives so that they become the presence of Christ to their students, whether again they are teaching in a Catholic school or a public school. Their transformed lives give witness to Christ in all that they say and do. Specifically, the, the Synod of Bishops talked about the importance of theology uh, and per pertaining to what we do here at a Catholic university. They mentioned that scientific theology has its own proper place in the university where it must carry out dialogue between faith and the other disciplines and the secular world. Theologians are called to carry out this service as part of the salvific mission of the church. The synod also encouraged the establishment of a department of new evangelization in each Catholic university. These requirements that theology are to be presented and taught at a Catholic university, again, are encapsulated in different areas of the teachings of the church. Certainly, every Catholic university needs to offer courses in theology. We are blessed here to have one of the largest departments of theology in any Catholic university in the United States and in the world. A true blessing for each one of us. So I don't think we need to worry about the possibility that we'll never offer theology courses here. I think it's self-evident. Uh, 
in Excordia Ecclesiae, Pope John Paul II went on to affirm the importance of having theology courses in the university. He said, through research in teaching, the students are educated in the various disciplines so as to become truly comp competent in the specific sectors in which they will devote themselves to the service of society and of the church, but at the same time prepared to give the witness of their faith to the world. Incorporation of our faith, incorporation of the teachings of the church into how we are able to encounter the secular world on a daily basis. Uh, as I said, the Synod encouraged Catholic universities to establish uh, teachings on the new evangelization or even a department of new evangelization within the Catholic University. We here have been blessed to have the Franciscan University Father Michael Scanlon Chair of Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization. Additionally, as I said, several other professors offer courses in the New Evangelization and principles of the New Evangelization are incorporated into already existing courses. Uh, numerous professors have already authored books on the topic as well. And Dr. Hahn has participated in a television series dedicated to the topic of the new evangelization. As a Catholic university focused on promoting its Catholic identity and Franciscan identity, we will continue to offer such courses. We will continue to teach certainly courses in theology, but courses in the new evangelization as well so that we might be of service to the church and to the students entrusted to our care. Catechetics and catechesis is another form of education that these synods spoke about. Uh, for us, catechetics is a systematic approach to the presentation of the faith and an area we take very seriously here at Franciscan University. Within that department of theology, we have a significant component of our instructors dedicated to the instruction of catechetics, how to teach the faith, how to present the faith. Uh, the Synod of Bishops talked about catechetics from two perspectives, the importance of adult catechesis and the importance of addressing um, catechetics and the catechism, utilizing the catechism of the Catholic Church as a tool for the new evangelization. Uh, they went on to say that every effort should be made within the possibilities of the local situation to provide catechists with strong ecclesial formation that is spiritual, biblical, doctrinal, and pedagogical. Now, for a year, I had the opportunity of sitting in faculty meetings where these issues were discussed amongst our professors who teach catechetics. I can assure you that each one of these components is very much incorporated in the teachings of our catechetics uh, programs. They went on to say, however, that the most powerful form of catechesis, not surprisingly, is personal witness to the faith. We can't just say what we think needs to be said, we have to back it up, to be authentic, which again gets back to the need for our own personal conversion to be those authentic witnesses of the faith. Cardinal Donald World, who was one of the participants at the Synod of Bishops on the New Evangelization, talked about the importance of catechists and catechesis. 
He said that catechists and those responsible for parish education share in one of the essential ministries of the church, teaching the faith. Catechetical ministry in all its forms can claim to participate in the perennial task that traces its origins to the tradition of the apostles, just as it can claim that its message is that which comes to us from the apostles. In this sense, the catechist is part of a great chain of living continuously that reaches back to the apostolic church and reaches out to those today who need to hear and be formed in that life-giving word. It is easy to see why the church places so much emphasis on the catechist. While the church advocates for appropriate formation of catechist, for catechists, this certainly does not relieve the rest of us from the responsibility of evangelizing, from the responsibility of passing on the faith. Each one of us shares in that obligation. And as so often the church reminds us, parents are the ones who have that primary obligation. Catechists, schools, and universities assist parents in fulfilling their obligation, but they are the primary educators of their children in the faith by what they say and what they do. Children are very observant and learn quite a bit at home. Whether you're talking to them about the faith or not, they pick up on quite a bit. Participation in the new evangelization gives each one of us the opportunity to be catechists, to be able to spread that faith, whether formally or informally, as we strive to be faithful to the magisterium as we try to share our faith with others. Two last areas that I want to touch on for just a few moments. First, the role of the laity, and then lastly, the role of youth uh, in promoting the new evangelization. Um, certainly, the role of the laity is consistent with the, the universal call to holiness that is so strongly emphasized at the Second Vatican Council. Uh, the Synod of Bishops talked about this in Proposition 45 and recognized the role of members of the laity in advancing the new evangelization. They said the laity cooperate in the church's work of evangelization as witnessed and at the same time as living instruments they share in their saving mission. Therefore the church values the gifts that the spirit makes to every baptized individual for the construction of the body and should provide adequate encouragement and training to foster their apostolic zeal in the transmission of the faith. Certainly, much of what we do in our outreach uh, throughout the course of the summers here in our conferences help to assist the members of the laity to become more confident in their understanding of the teachings of the church, to become empowered to be able to not only embrace those teachings, to live those teachings, but to also share them with others. Our missionary outreach in that respect is essential to the new evangelization and to being able to continue to foster the further development of the understanding of the teachings of the church by our great members of the laity. Members of the laity certainly also cooperate in promoting the, the new evangelization in numerous ways. 
as educators in schools, as catechists, but primarily, most importantly, as personal witnesses of the faith. Again, each of us has a role to play in the new evangelization. It's not something that is left to the professionals. It's not something that's left to the bishops, the priests, the religious sisters. Everybody has an important role to play in promoting the new evangelization. The last topic I wanted to talk about is the role of youth in the new evangelization. Certainly something we embrace here at Franciscan University because we are blessed to be able to minister to the youth of our world, the youth of our church. In Proposition 51, the Synod uh, Bishop said that in the new evangelization, the youth are not only the future, but also the present and gift of the church. The youth are in the stage of searching for truth and meaning in life that Jesus, who is the truth, and their friend can provide. They, import, they, they pointed to the importance of all persons being witnesses to the youth and specifically addressed the role of youth ministers, other exemplary Christian witnesses who assist them in various activities, but also pointing our youth to the example of saints in our church. When you first think about the youth in our world, you may think they are the ones who need to be taught about the faith. They are the ones who need to be able to become comfortable in living out their faith, and then to be able to share their faith with others. If you look around at your typical student here at Franciscan University, they are very comfortable in doing that. They embrace and try to come to a very deep knowledge of the understandings of the teaching of the church. They are very happy to live out their faith and they are very happy to share their faith with people that they encounter. I see them living the new evangelization on a daily basis. And certainly our alumni who go forward and live the new evangelization on a daily basis. Cardinal Whirl, again, attempted to describe the qualities of the new evangelization, and he had a series of terms that he utilized to suggest its importance and how people should be able to embrace the new evangelization in their lives. He said, first of all, the new evangelization must show a boldness born of confidence in Christ. We need to be bold in our presentation of the new evangelization. Next, he said, the evangelizers, for the, new the evangelizers for the new evangelization need also a connectedness with the church, her gospel, and her pastoral presence. Connectedness with the church, her gospel, and pastoral presence. That feeling of belonging to something greater than themselves Bishop Monforton last night talked about the importance of communion in being able to draw others to the faith, to be able to feel connected to the church, the teachings, and something more important than themselves. He next said another quality of the new evangelization and therefore those engaged in it is a sense of urgency. The need, the desire to be able to be involved in something that must be addressed now. Must be addressed now 
so that we can continue to help others to understand the faith and draw them more deeply into the faith that we celebrate. Finally, when he said, when we look around and see the vast field open waiting for us to sow seeds of new life, we must do so with joy. Bishop Monforton said last night, who would want to join a group of people who are miserable, who are unhappy? We need to be filled with that joy of living out the faith, the Franciscan joy that we encounter so much here on a daily basis. So the qualities that Cardinal World described as being essential to us as agents of the new evangelization, the boldness, our desire, our willingness to be bold and our presentation of the church and how we live out the teachings of the church, how we share them with others, the need for us to be connected with the church, the gospel, and the pastoral presence, that sense of urgency that we need to act now, and lastly, to do all of those things with the joy that penetrates our lives as followers of Christ, the joy that we need to share with others the joy that will draw others to that desire to share the faith with them. We must be bold, connected with the church, have a sense of urgency in delivering the message and do so with great joy. Those of you who are here on a daily basis, those of you who are here as visitors, I would hope have encountered those aspects in each of the students that you have met through your time here with us. They are unique, they are passionate, and they have a great desire and love for the church, desire to be able to share their love for the church with others. We are blessed to have such students here. In conclusion, I just want to say that here at Franciscan University, the new evangelization compels us to embark on the, our own conversation regarding the role of the new evangelization in our lives, in the life of our university. It compels us to undergo our own ongoing conversion so that we can be authentic witnesses to the faith, so that we can live our lives of faith the way in which Christ asks us to do and to be able to share that with others. We must continue to promote the teachings of our faith in the public square, in our scholarship, and in the many decisions that we make in the life of this university. Education, catechetics, and theology are certainly key components to the new evangelization, and we take those obligations very seriously here. Lastly, the new evangelization is not an activity reserved to the clergy or persons in consecrated life. Each one of us has a role to play to educate ourselves, to live our faith, and to draw others to Christ. May each one of us respond to these invitations and participate in the new evangelization as God directs us. Thank you very much. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com Be transformed by the renewal of your mind.